Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. We're excited here at Sparkplug to talk to Susan Stover, former VP of Digital Content at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. And now she's on her own, working in femtech and related areas. And we're excited to be talking about the future of identity, authentication, femtech, retail, and much more. Great to be here. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. It's so good to have you with us today. How about you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Great. Yeah. So uh, again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Uh, so Ned and I go back to my days working at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. The tables have been turned here. I was interviewing him as part of my position and now, now I'm the one in the spotlight. So for me, my role in uh, at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World was looking at you know the various opportunities when it comes to identity and authentication and the biometrics and mobile identity space, specifically when it came to the sectors of fintech, government applications, all the way to healthcare. Um, and that kind of set me off on looking at how various applications of technology could be utilized in the healthcare and wellness space, which brought me to femtech, uh, which is a sector uh, that is categorized by any solution, product, or software that supports women's health and wellness. And the umbrella of, of women, that definition is inclusive uh, and isn't necessarily meant to set up a binary. But what it most attracted to me uh, to, about Femtech was looking at decades old problems, even centuries old problems that hadn't necessarily been uh, resolved and looking at all these innovative companies under the umbrella of Femtech. So currently I'm working as a brand and content uh, strategist in the space. Wow. You've touched on a lot of dimensions. I'm curious to back up a little bit to our shared history. I wondered if you could speak a little bit about biometric authentication. How does that work, especially for people who aren't in the biometrics field? What is biometric authentication in a nutshell? In a nutshell, it's a matching system. So when we look at a biometric, like a fingerprint, voice, or even behavioral, what we're looking at is setting up a template to which it's being compared. So think about your smartphone, uh, either when you use a face ID or a fingerprint ID, what is being set up is what it's being directly compared to. So in that authentication process, what you're looking at is saying, does this modality match up. And then when we go further into identification, that's not just looking at, is this the same, but who are you? Uh, so those two things often work, can work separately, but also in conjunction with one another. Interesting. Our audience focuses on retail scenarios. So can you tell us more about authentication in retail? How do you think retailers will be using biometrics in the future? I think there's several different applications, especially in the retail space, not necessarily uh, just in brick and mortar locations, but also when we're looking at e-commerce. So when we're looking at uh, things like authenticating a purchase and streamlining that process and making the onboarding process more seamless, I think we can borrow a lot from what the fintech sector has done in terms of banking and, and uh, online banking. Specifically, I think for retail, there's also a lot of opportunities that I've seen that are looking at you know, facial biometrics, specifically for advertising in a retail space. There's also uh, biometrics for brick and mortar locations when it comes to uh, 
user activity. So when you have something set up in your physical store, looking at the biometric markers of how people are behaving. So if you're setting up a particular stand, like looking at the you know standard amount of time that people are spending at a particular setup, or what might be uh, you know certain friction points for them. Um, basically, it's also a, a great way to you know know your customer and authenticate and verify who they are uh, online, or even you know if you have something like a loyalty program or something like that. Right. So I know that Amazon has really pioneered stores that don't require a credit card anymore. That's physically present. Instead, you can use your palm or you can use your facial geometry or even your behavior within the store to be able to identify what you've purchased and you just waltz out of the store with your purchases and your build. Is that a good model for the future or do you see some gaps there? Well, well, I see that that would be something that would characterize as naked payments. So naked payments would be something where you're not physically presenting a card and you may just be presenting a biometrics or with a more mobile application, you know, paying with your phone. I think that's absolutely the direction that that the current uh, system is going towards. So when you think about, you know, frictionless payments or naked payments, the real advantage there is not having to, you know, have an exchange of money, which I think in our COVID-19 world or post-pandemic world, this is going to become more and more the norm. Okay. I'm curious about the long-term fundamental trends, um, infection detection and technology to prove you are COVID vaccinated or tested. In terms of biometrics in the healthcare industry, I think it's important to understand like where the healthcare industry is in general. Right now, we're looking at the healthcare industry where fintech was five years ago. So when it comes to these various like authentication and when it comes to accessing your your medical records or having some sort of immunization passport, I think that there is a real opportunity right now for the healthcare industry being on the precipice of leapfrogging over existing technologies uh, when it comes to identification, verification, and, and healthcare records. So as a leader in technical fields, you've now shifted your focus from biometrics to femtech. What led to that shift for you? I think for me, it was, I'm not really sure even when I first saw the term femtech, I think it was one of those things where specifically, I believe I was looking at women in wearables, which looks at a lot of different um, applications within biometrics and mobile identity. And I found this community looking to, you know, really serve and deliver technologies specifically for women's health and wellness. Personally, that really attracted me. It's been something that I've been passionate about, uh, you know, since even coming of age and, and kind of understanding how women have been, you know, women's health specifically has been maligned, ignored, and often technical solutions or technologies have even omitted them from the equation. For example, uh, in Rachel Braun Cheryl's book, Orgasmic Leadership, she talks about uh, the Apple Health Kit that launched in 2016. This was advertised as you know, a holistic, whole body way of monitoring your health, and it completely omitted anything to do with menstruation. Wow. And <laughs> so... And I don't think that that's malicious, right? I don't think that the intent is to directly exclude women. But when you're looking at 
a, a juggernaut and a leader like Apple to think about where we are in, you know, the, the year 2020 and beyond. It's, it really sparked something where I was like, you know, I have this background in technology. I understand uh, how to communicate very complex ideas and technologies directly to uh, either direct to consumer or B2B applications. And it was really a, a, a perfect fit for me as soon as I got in, because I saw that there were just so many opportunities, I think, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, digital applications and data security, that it, it just seemed like a seamless transition. Got it. So I know the tech world is pretty excited about Whitney Wolf's success with Bumble. So maybe we should start there and talking about femtech. I mean, this is a female-led company. This went public. She's now a billionaire. Is that a good starting place for femtech? So what I think is interesting about that highlighting there is that femtech specifically often gets conflated with female leadership. So I that's one point of sort of demystification that I'd like to kind of set the record straight on today. Although 80% of most female or most startups in the femtech space are led by women, and there are several reasons for that. I think uh, the first one being that the impotence when it comes to, you know, research or funding or investment, uh, when it comes to these solutions, women are actually solving their own problems. Bumble wouldn't, I don't think, exactly fit into the category of femtech, although when we're looking at, you know, technology that for uh, situations that disproportionately solely or differently affect women, I think Bumble might kind of slip in because the way that it's structured is that women have a different experience when it comes to dating apps and they've set up a way so that the communication uh, is in their hands. However, I think moving forward, uh, we need to remember that men are more than welcome to come into the femtech space. Male leaders are more than welcome to come up with innovations. And there are quite a few who are in the space, but uh, that's just one point of clarification. Thank you for teaching me something. So it's not necessarily about female leaders. It's about making technology more accessible and more uh, focused on a woman's experience of the world. Is that fair? Yeah, and specifically it comes out of this healthcare sector, like, uh, you know, looking at women's health and wellness. What are some of the challenges that femtech faces? Well, thank you so much for asking that question. I think, you know, the challenges that are directly set up to the femtech industry can be summarized with stigma and taboo. So that comes from, or sorry, that applies to everything from advertising, reaching your customer, all the way up to funding, uh, specifically with you know venture capitalist funding when it comes to startups. So what I mean when I'm talking about taboo, sorry, what I mean when I'm talking about uh, taboo and stigma is that women's bodies are way more regulated and way more censored than male bodies are. So when we're trying to have an earnest, honest conversation about menstruation, fertility, menstruation. There's a lot of uncomfortableness that comes with these things that often haven't been talked about at all. So when we look at advertising, for example, a really great company in the femtech space called Dame Products, which provide sexual health and wellness products, specifically sex toys, recently uh, sued the uh, 
the transit system in New York because there was an ad by a, a company called Hims that you know was basically advertising for impotence uh, solving. Sorry, they were advertising for erection uh, dysfunction products. So and that wasn't a problem. So and but when Dame tried to show something that's not necessarily pornographic, not even showing a female body, they were censored from doing so. So they have a great sort of advocacy there with approved, not approved, which is uh, basically looking at different campaigns across Facebook and different platforms where, uh, you know, these companies have been directly censored. Sounds like what you're saying is that we need to have a different conversation about technology and about uh, cultural acceptance of different experiences. It's not just about creating technology for the space, but also opening a space for the technology to tell women's stories. Exactly. And I think that, you know, there's so many experiences by femtech founders when they're going out for funding that really outlines this experience where traditionally male VCs may not, they just don't understand why this would be a problem. Why is this, why would, uh, you know, why would someone need a period tracker? Why would someone need something to manage their menstruation? Would women want a uh, sexual enhancing medication? So that education is really the key to overcoming that challenge. For a small example, many wearables don't provide fertility tracking. And yet that's incredibly important to women in a family planning stage. That's part of women's daily experience. And uh, making that part of uh, a baseline of technology for, for tracking makes sense. Exactly. And I think the one thing, especially with the example of fertility, fertility doesn't just affect women. Women's health is everyone's health, right? And looking at the statistics, you know, women are responsible for 80% of the household spending when it comes to healthcare choices. Women are, are you know, 75% more likely to adopt digital solutions. There's just an enormous market uh, that's been ignored and there's just so many opportunities within it. Great. Can you think of three companies that you think we should be paying attention to? Along the lines of, you know, going back to my mobile identity roots, one company that I would definitely say to watch is a company called Clue, which was launched by Ida Tin in 2016, who actually coined the term femtech. So Clue is a period and fertility tracking app uh, that has, was actually integrated into that Apple Health Kit once they saw that there was a blind spot there. But the one thing that's interesting about that company specifically is that Ida Tin and her team is, is dedicated to uh, setting up data security and and uh, privacy policies more so than a lot of other companies. And under her leadership, she's really looking to expand that conversation into the femtech industry as a whole. Another company I would say to look at is uh, within the femtech space is uh, called Make Love Not Porn by Cindy Gallup. So this is actually a movement that is looking at the current pornographic landscape and how we experience what Cindy Gallup calls social sex. This is actually a curated platform. And again, going back to identity, everyone who uploads a video has to show, has to, uh, you know, authenticate and verify their identity and able to create these, these videos, but it's going up against the current narrative of how 
women are, are portrayed uh, sexually. And another, I would say in terms of like, there's over 300 femtech companies and I don't want to necessarily leave anyone out, but another trend that, that we're seeing is a move to virtual uh, healthcare, digital healthcare. And Maven is a company that's gotten quite a bit of traction in the last few years. And it's uh, providing a model that's built around women and families. Uh, and in terms of getting to know more about the femtech industry, I uh, would suggest for any of your listeners to tune into Femtech Focus, Women of Wearables, uh, and Femtech Insider for uh, daily updates. Fantastic. Thank you for those recommendations, Susan. What's the future of, of tech and especially femtech look like? Well, I think what's interesting is like the, the future of tech and femtech, we really do have to understand uh, data protection and security. I think as we move to a consistently more mobile world, these are things that we need to think about because data is such a, a huge asset right now and how to personally protect ourselves and have companies build themselves with privacy by design as a whole. When we're looking at femtech, I think one of the most exciting things to look at at the future in terms of technology is expanding the definition right now in the market. So right now we're looking at mostly, you know, solutions that have to do with a, a woman's reproductive system. But it does expand beyond that. For example, Alzheimer's affects more women than men. So there's a huge sort of gap there. Also, uh, heart disease is a leading killer of women in the United States. And heart attacks actually present differently than they do in men. So how do we set up, like there's a few companies setting up, you know, biometric bras that, you know, can actually um, chart your vitals and let you know when something's going wrong because we generally associate, you know, heart attack with numbness in the left arm and tightness of breath. Most women actually experience that more as a stomach pain and tiredness. So wow. it's, it, it's solutions like that, that, you know, that's part of education, but also at the same time, employing different wearables and being able to track our health. And then also looking at digital health solutions at large in technology, putting people's health into their hands uh, in a way that is you know, informative, seamless and uh, accessible to all. I think that's, that's one of the big things. Susan, I, I was reading in one of your blogs um, what you were just talking about just now. And you mentioned you know another health um, you know, topic of endometriosis and PCOS and, you know, insulin um, and blood sugar tracking systems and whatnot. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Well, specifically for endometriosis, one of the big uh, issues there is that it typically takes up to eight years to get a formal diagnosis. So this is an example of really where Femtech gets its roots is what is it about women's health that is being ignored for so long. I think a lot of women are just told that you're just stressed out. Pain is just a part of your life. Uh, you know, you just have a glass of wine uh, and unwind and do self-care, which are all, you know, self-care is, is a wonderful thing. But being able to really have digital tracking apps that you can bring to your medical professional to say, here's what's going on with me. This is a trend and being able to have more access to, you know, various specialists as well. I think it works alternatively uh, or sort of to flip that around to be able to educate uh, healthcare professionals about what the signs and symptoms are, because traditionally, you know, you get five minutes in that doctor's office and that's it. 
So it's being able to have the language to be able to understand. Uh, when it comes to diabetes and, and insulin, I think there's a whole lot of, of innovation that's coming, come quite quite far in the last five years to be able to understand how to, uh, you know, track your, your sugar levels. I think now you can just have that go onto your smartphone, uh, and be able to, you know, have a more holistic understanding of your health. You're not just this, just one symptom. You're not just one vital. Femtech is, is very much looking at the woman's health journey, which changes from, uh, you know, womb to tomb. And a simple app tracking, you know, what you're eating and, you know, the nutrients that you're logging isn't sufficient enough. No, no. I think it, it comes down to a lot of different factors. I also, you know, reading the news recently, you know, about COVID-19, uh, you know, women are experiencing a massive exodus from the workplace and we're seeing higher levels of stress. We're seeing higher levels of eating disorders in women uh, that aren't necessarily presenting in the way that that someone would notice right away. So it's, it's, it's a whole body experience. And it's also about, you know, looking at it culturally as well. So back in the day, companies were urged to take their information online, and the internet was a new thing. And now, if a company isn't online, it's not really a company. So I'm curious if you think that analogy applies to femtech in the future, that technology will just by default, should be enabled to understand women's concerns as well as men's concerns. Is this a fair analogy? I think it is. I've heard it, that, you know, Femtech being compared to feminism, for example, we put a name on it because there's an urgent need. And I know that my personal like hopes and goals is that we no longer need the word Femtech because it's so integrated within how we build technology and how and who we serve that not just women, but also intersex, trans, uh, and you know, non-cisgender, uh, the whole LGBTQA rainbow is being considered. So I have a final question. What is your mission that you want to be remembered for? That's such a big question. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think when I look at what I do every day, what really drives me is that I want to support and amplify companies with missions that are ultimately going to benefit women's health, which will ultimately benefit everyone's health. So if I can do my job in terms of offering that support, whether it's through content, conversation, or you know the brand support, getting directly to the customer, directly to the user, and it actually having an impact, that's, uh, I'll be happy with that. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And Ned, it's been, it's so great that, you know, we went back, we were back in the day talking about biometrics and now worlds are colliding. So uh, good luck to you both with this podcast. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile location. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media. Mm-hmm.